Welcome to the BJU Press Teacher Edition Podcast, where Christian educators are encouraged and inspired as we bring you interviews, practical ideas, strategies, and answer your questions about teaching in today's culture. And here's your host, Jenny Copeland. We're ready to get started with another topic that I'm confident is going to hit home with so many educators. Just before we jump into that, let me remind you again to take a minute to subscribe to the podcast. If you have friends who aren't listening, please share this podcast with them. Get them listening. They may be needing a bit of encouragement, and I trust this will be that for them. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We are Teacher Edition Podcast on Facebook. And of course, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Teacher Edition Pod. That's Teacher Edition Pod. We would love it if you take a minute to leave a review on Apple Podcasts as well. It really does help out the show. And lastly, I just want to invite you to go to our website. That's teachereditionpodcast.com. There you can subscribe to our emails and you can also submit your questions and stories. Those can be funny stories or stories of blessings in your classroom. We look forward to receiving those and sharing those on the show. And as we have questions or stories, we will share those at the end of the episode. So be sure to listen all the way to the end of the interviews each time. I'm excited for today's topic for a number of reasons, but one of those reasons is because it is so relevant and it's becoming more relevant every day. If we could have a show of hands, I think we would find very few listeners who have not had a student who comes from a struggling environment. That could look like any number of different shapes or sizes, but more and more we are seeing students coming into our classrooms in Christian schools carrying heavy weights and burdens and struggles the next test, the next fundraiser or project is really the least of their worries. Their minds and their hearts are weighed down by different things that they are dealing with. And at their young age, they have had so much hardship and heartbreak and even trauma. And how do we help them? Do we even take time to notice that they need help? And that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm so honored to have Esther Cruz with us today. So Esther, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Good to be here. Esther graduated with a degree in practical Christian training with a proficiency in childcare. She and her husband have four children. They have two boys and two girls, and they also have four grandkids. Esther has had quite the variety of experiences interacting with children. She's worked with children in a daycare setting, in classroom settings, church settings, parenting, foster parenting, and early intervention. Esther was a daycare director and assistant director for four years. She was a two-year-old room teacher for three years, a fourth grade teacher for a year, and an early interventionist for 11 years. So that's a lot of experience there. The Lord has given Esther and her husband a burden and a passion for working with foster children. And she and her husband have actually fostered 33 children over the last 10 years. Esther now works as a foster care coordinator with Miracle Hill Ministries. And in just looking at that list of experiences and now with you working so closely with children in foster care, it really should come as no surprise to our listeners that you have encountered a lot of hurting children. And I've had the privilege of being able to watch how the Lord has given you such a gift in that area and such enabling to have a ministry and an impact on those children. And you know, our Christian schools are not beyond having students of all ages from similar situations to what maybe you've seen or carrying similar burdens, whether they're foster children or not. And I'd love to talk about that today and just get your insights and how can we as Christian school educators serve these children and love them, minister to them 
and impact them. And we know our time with them is short, whether it's one year in a classroom or maybe in a special class, whatever it may be. God has given us that time. He's ordained that for us. How can we make the most of that? So let's start by laying some groundwork. What would you say are some traumas that children are experiencing these days? Okay. And unfortunately, you know, in the past, these kind of traumas came from basically foster children or children from, you know, very poor settings. Um, now it's across all, all realms. And we are seeing a lot of this coming from the church, unfortunately. Um, and so as I read out some of the, we call them ACEs. Those are called adverse childhood experiences. And many of the children in our classroom will not have only just experienced one, but maybe several of these adverse uh, just experiences that they've gone through. And again, unfortunately, these are coming from our church children. And I think sometimes in the world, they're even, they're easier to expose because they're more accepted. Whereas when they're coming from children that are coming from ch uh, Christian homes, church situations, these are settings where we are hiding some of these um, adverse childhood experiences. We are not up front. We are trying to be the perfect family in the perfect church. And um, sometimes these children that have experienced some of these things are going to be deacon's children. They are going to be um, pastor's children. They are going to be Sunday school teacher's children. They could be Christian school teachers' children. Um, they're becoming more common. And, and I'm, the list is pretty, uh, you know, goes on and on, but I'm just going to list some that I think um, are kind of more common. Uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, uh, physical neglect, emotional neglect, um, incarcerated relatives, Domestic violence is a big one, and I'm very sorry to say that is becoming more and more common in the church setting. Um, substance abuse, and probably one that we are seeing again way more frequently than we should be, but is divorce. And that is a hard, hard experience for all children to go through. Um, so, you know, those are just some common ones. Again, you know, we, we would like to think that they aren't happening in the lives of the children in our classrooms. But if we're going to be very honest, they are happening in children in our classrooms. And, um, you know, again, in, in a public school setting, especially teachers are more aware and more on the lookout for some of these. Whereas in the Christian school, maybe we're not. And, and we don't want to go around looking for this under every leaf. You know, children have behavioral issues because they are children, because they are, by nature, they are sinners. Um, and, and some of these are just because they went to bed really late last night or because, you know, they had Lucky Charms for breakfast instead of something they should. So we, we also don't want to make problems where there are not problems. But we need to be aware of the changing behaviors that are going on in the children in our classrooms. You know, some children every Monday morning are just going to be a mess. And that's just because it was a busy weekend. Um, but if they're coming in on a Monday and the behaviors are very different than they were the Monday before, and those behaviors continue on into the week, 
we may want to begin to just be a little bit more serious and, and not necessarily investigating every single behavior, but more aware. I think awareness is going to be key. Um, again, we don't want to make an, an issue where there is not one. We don't want to approach parents and say, you know, your child used an inappropriate word. Are they being sexually abused? You know, and terrifying everyone. Um, but at the same time, we there are behaviors that we can begin to look for just because so many of these experiences are becoming more common. So it, it's good for us to be aware of the trauma that these children are going through. You know, and even as adults, we can go through hard times. We can lose a family member. We can lose a parent. But our coping skills are much more advanced. You know, we, we are prepared to say, yes, there's a God in heaven. He is on the throne. He is in control. Um, but when you have a seven-year-old that's experiencing physical abuse or watching their father beat up their mother, they they don't have the coping skills. And this is going to be, you know, we're going to see this in behaviors in the classroom setting. Um, it doesn't mean we excuse behaviors, but we certainly take them into account and, um, and we can have a lot to do with helping these children. Um, you know, and I'm going to, some of what I shared today will be from secular research. Uh, you know, we always want to go back to the Bible and see what, the, what does the Bible have to say? Because, you know, God has given us all that we need for life and godliness. Um, so we certainly want to continue to go back to scripture, but we can also learn from research that has taken place. And, um, you, you know, they say in domestic violence cases, which again, this is something that is really pushed under the carpet in our churches and is very prevalent, unfortunate. Now, again, it, we, it's not in every family, but there is a lot more of it than there has been in the past. The secular research says the single most critical, and we know this is not a single most critical. We know God makes a difference, but this is secular research. The single most critical factor in how children weather exposure to domestic violence, physical abuse, sexual abuse, is the presence of at least one loving and supportive adult in their life. And as the classroom teacher for a full year, you have the opportunity to be that person, that loving and supportive adult. Um, not always easy because these behaviors are very difficult to deal with. And, you know, as foster parents, we have dealt with these behaviors and, you know, we don't, we can't treat these children like we treated our children. They have different concerns and different behaviors and they are difficult. A lot of these children with these behaviors, very difficult to love, very difficult to be patient with. Um, but maybe helping helping us be more patient and be more loving is understanding that we can actually make a difference in this child's life and and help them as they are weathering storms we have never weathered we never expect to weather uh we never we we hope to never have children in our classroom dealing with these things but yet we do have the opportunity to make the difference, to be the loving 
supportive, caring adult that can actually help them become better adults themselves and adults that have learned from their experiences. One thing that that we need to remember is how resilient children are. They are extremely resilient. And the earlier we can work with them, the longer we can work with them, the more we can work with them. I mean, the better the results that we are going to see from these children. They do not have to be defined the rest of their lives by some of the experiences they've gone through. They are certainly going to help shape them. They're going to help mold them. But they don't have to be defined by some of these awful experiences that they've been through. And that's up to us. I I believe the adults that God... uh, And, you know, God puts the children in our classrooms that he intends for us to have. He puts the foster children in our home that he intends for us to minister to. And so understanding that and understanding for that period of time that we have them in our lives, God has given us a responsibility to try to help them as much as possible. Um, And I think, again, the first step in, in helping them and in um, helping, just helping them navigate and weather the storms that they are going through. It's just being aware that these storms are in their lives, that these experiences are a part of their lives. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you mentioned stability because I really think for so many students that coming to school every day and that teacher is there for them, they know what to expect, that that classroom becomes their safe space. And we may not even know what all that they're dealing with. And that teacher becomes, like you mentioned, that adult in their life, that that stability. I know when I taught at the end of the year, I had a parent say to me, thank you for being the stability for my son that my husband and I can't be right now because they were going through a rough time at home. And when you think about that, it's true. We're with them more waking hours than often. Their parents, even in a good scenario, you know, that they're with them. Now, you mentioned behaviors multiple times. And I'd like to dig into that a little bit and unpack that. And you did mention it could have just been the lucky charms. And we understand that. And behaviors don't always necessarily link back to a, a trauma. And I'm glad you pointed that out because I think that's really important for us to remember But what types of behaviors might teachers see in a classroom that could potentially, especially repeatedly, if we see that repeatedly, could potentially link back to some of these types of traumas? Okay. Okay. Um, Definitely aggression is definitely one. Violence. If you see a child that's continually violent on the playground, that that should be a red flag for us, certainly. Um, and again, a lot of times they are just seeing this stuff on TV and they should not, but they are seeing it. And so then they are acting it out sometimes, but it's still a red flag, um, disruptive behavior, aggressive behavior, sexualized behavior is always an extreme red flag. Um, not able to regulate their emotions, just flying off the handle very quickly, very rapidly. Um, depression anxiety. Um, You know, if there are children that are normally good eaters and you begin to notice in the cafeteria that they're not eating, I mean, that that is certainly a red flag. Um, Children that are constantly sleepy, very sleepy behavior. Can that be medical? Absolutely. And, And we always say, you know, before you, you know, rush off to a psychiatrist, you know, go to your doctor, get a good physical. Um, for these children. Um, but 
those are just some of the behaviors that we can notice, you know, again, just being, and especially if it's a new behavior, but I'm sleeping through class. Maybe they're not getting any sleep at night because they're listening to parents fight all night, or maybe somebody is abusing them during the night. Um, so, um, but depression, anxiety, I'm regressing. Children, you know, even in yoga grades that begin having, you know, accidents, um, begin urinating, um, not being able to make it to the bathroom. Again, does that mean it's a, a definite abuse? No, it does not. But it's a red flag. It's certainly something that should be investigated a little bit. Um, children that are constantly complaining of stomach aches, headaches, you know, they constantly have, you know, scratches. Um, of course, any self-harming behavior, um, seeing a child with scissors, you know, trying to cut themselves. Um, sometimes that's just natural. <laughs> it's just, hey, let's see what these do. You know, so again, we want to be a little bit of a detective. Uh, what's the difference between, you know, a six-year-old boy taking a pair of scissors just to see what they're going to do to his finger or, or seeing habitual cutting of themselves. Um, irrational fears can be an indication that there is something going on. Um, overly clingy, overly whiny. Again, can some of this be personality stuff? Absolutely. You know, but it's still something to look into. It's something to you know, kind of put our little detective hat on and see if maybe there's something a little bit below the surface here. But, you know, mainly the things that we look at are just anxiety, depression, disruptive behavior, aggression, violence. Um, you know, and again, not being able to pay attention. You know, if, if there is so much in their mind and they are going through so much anxiety, they could, you know, that could be the reason that they cannot pay attention in class. Um, it could be behaviors, absolutely. It could go back to the lucky charms, but it, it can be a symptom or a sign that they have anxiety, they had disruptive behavior going on in their homes, which is causing them, you know, and, and again, as adults, if we are going through a very stressful time, you know, sometimes it's hard to pay attention in church because our mind is going to different behaviors or, or to different circumstances in our lives. These children, they can't even tell themselves, stop, just stop it already and pay attention. You know, we can deal with this later. Um, so those are kind of some of the things, some of the behaviors, some of the acting out that we can notice if there is some traumatic experience going on in their lives. Yeah, that's very practical. And I, I like how you point out too, looking for those trends or looking for changes, you know, for assume that all of a sudden has a very dramatic change. Those types of things might stick out to a teacher, you know, who's spending so much time. So I think we've laid a really good foundation of, you know, what are some traumas and how might we see those, you know, manifest themselves in a classroom I think the bulk of what we want to focus on is, okay, what are some practical ways we can help? Our hearts go out to them. You see something is wrong. They're dealing with something and 
your hearts break for children, especially. And I mean, all the way up, I'm not just saying elementary, all the way up through high school, dealing, trying to function under that heavy weight. So from your experience, and you have a lot of it, what are some practical ways that teachers could help students walk through things that they're dealing with? First, first of all, and I, I think this is, we're going we're gonna to have to come back to this continually, introducing them to the God of all comfort, the God of all hope. I mean, children that are going through some of these traumatic experiences, they don't have any hope. They don't have any hope of this ever changing until maybe they're an adult and they can get out of their home. They don't have hope. Um, they're not getting comfort at home. You know, through some of these experiences, that's what's causing all their traumatic, you know, experience. And so, you know, we want to introduce them and that's, that's going to, that's also called discipleship. We have the opportunity to disciple our students and maybe looking for opportunities that we can meet with some of these kiddos one-on-one. Maybe they stay after school for, you know, because they're not going to be picked up till five o'clock or 5.30 because their parents are working. Take the opportunity to ask that parent, can I meet with this child after school so we can discuss some things going on in the classroom? Um, some parents may not want that to happen because they may not want the truth to come out. But still, maybe taking a lunchroom opportunity, a playground opportunity to get with some of these students one-on-one. And before we begin questioning them, what's going on? What's going on? You know, again, reminding them of who our source of comfort is, of who our source of hope is. Um, We want Christ to be front and center for them because ultimately... That is who's going to be the one that's going to walk the storm with them. You know, we may have them for a year. They can have God for always, you know. And so discipling them, giving them um, encouragement. And at the end of this program, I'm going to leave some resources um, to be put up. And some of that, I'm going to put scripture, some specific scripture on our God of comfort, our God of hope, our God of grace. Our children may not understand the concept of grace, but we can begin to help them understand that God is there to help them through all their their hard times. Um, And when they leave our classroom at the end of the year, they still have God. They still have Christ in their heart. So we we want to present Christ Um, We also want to help them understand that who they are. We want them to understand who they are in Christ. We are more than conquerors in Christ. We are exactly who God meant us to be. He created us to be who we are. You know, some of these children that are coming in with mental abuse and emotional abuse, you know, that's harder to pinpoint sometimes. But, you know, we found that with our foster children, even the ones that did not come in with visible bruises and visible stripes, they came in thinking, I am dumb. I am stupid. I can't do anything. I'm clumsy. I can't do sports. I can't have friends. I can't, 
I can't grow up and be a teacher if that's what I want to be. And so we want to teach them God made them exactly who he intended them to be. And he created them so special and so unique that you can be anything God created you to be. You know, because they are, they are coming in beaten down. A lot of these children are beaten down. They have been made to feel like they cannot do anything right. You know, and and you're going to see this if, you know, you're going to give them a project. I can't do that. I'm too stupid. No, it's up to us to teach them. No, you are not stupid. You you are who God created you to be. And, and I mean, you know, we get to be cheerleaders. And I think that is a huge part of helping these children is to be their cheerleaders. Some of them will never be cheered on by their family, by their family members. And that's up to us to cheer them on, to offer them hope and encouragement. And, um, you know, teaching these children that God is love and God loves them, no matter if they get an F on their spelling test. You know, they may take that F home and, and be beaten for it. But we can teach them, yes, we want you to do your best. We're not going to take the excuse of, no, I'm just stupid and I can't do it. Yes, you can. Actually, I'm going to work with you and we're going to work on this together. But being encouragers for them, being cheerleaders for them, teaching them who God is, that he is the God of all comfort and that he is the God of hope and that he created them to be exactly who they are. And so God doesn't create us to be failures. And so again, you know, just being a cheerleader for them. And I know that just sounds like, well, sure, that's common sense, but it isn't always common sense. And especially for the child that's constantly whining, constantly complaining, and constantly my stomach hurts. It is really hard to be the encourager and the cheerleader for them, you know, but they maybe need it more than any other child in the room. So, you know, just, you know, starting from kind of let, letting that be our starting point is just, again, being their encourager, being their cheerleader, and making sure they know God and that they know God loves them no matter what they're going through. God is with them. He will never leave them nor forsake them. They're going to feel forsaken. And that's, you know, that's going to be hard for them to understand. But, you know, that to me is our starting point with our children. We have the opportunity to offer them something that secular world does not have to offer them, that, um, you know, the secular psychiatrist does not have to offer them. That is a starting point. That's where we begin. Um, But, you know, just, all right, just just practical classroom ideas. Um, Structure and routine is always key. These kids, some of them are coming out of chaos. They are coming out of total disruptive behaviors in their homes and structure and routine is going to help them feel more stable. It's going to help them feel more secure. Um, when foster children come into our home, that is a, that's one of the first things we do. First thing we do is say, you may not leave the house without our permission. We need to know where you are, where you're going. But the next thing we begin to do is, is set up routines and structures and boundaries. These kids don't have that. And I, again, child is coming from a phys- from physical abuse. 
it may be that most of the time nobody does anything about anything. And then all of a sudden, boom, now I'm getting beaten for this. And so they need boundaries, structure, routines that they can trust in, that they know, and this is so hard, but our consistency. We are this this role is the same today and it's gonna be the same tomorrow. You know, even as a predictable. Yes, absolutely. They need predictable teachers. They need consistent teachers. And even as a parent, that's very difficult because some days I'm in a better mood than other days. And some days a child can say something and it's hysterical. And another day that was disrespectful and that's not acceptable, but it was the same thing. You know, they, on their part, they were saying the same thing. So, you know, it's important for us as teachers and as the responsible adult in their life to be predictable, to be consistent, for the routines in the classroom to be the same, for structure. So important for these kids whose lives are out of control. They need a place where they know there is control. Even if they act like they don't want that, they need it desperately and they depend on it actually. So that is really critical. Um, Now, preparing for a transition is huge with these kids that have gone through this these traumatic experiences they don't move easily from one thing to another they don't know what allowed they if that's going to be somebody's getting ready to hurt me or if that's just a ladder fell down in the hallway you know they they love the structure and the routine but they also need transitions but they need to be prepared for those transitions. Um, that's where predictability is good. Unpredictable is not good. You know, rather than just jumping up out of our chair and changing the structure, explaining it, prefacing a change, prefacing a transition by saying, now normally we would go from this class to this class. Today we're going to do this. And today we're going to do it this way. Normally, the boys walk on this side of the hallway and the girls walk on this side of the hallway. Today, we're not going to do that. Today, we're going to go every other one, boy, girl, boy, girl. So the more we can prepare them for transitions, the better they're going to accept those transitions. So that's huge. That's huge for kids whose lives are out of control. Preparing them for changes. Preparing them for doing things differently than they're normally done. You know, because again, the structure is great, but we also have to prepare them for when we're not going to follow that structure. Um, so just being upfront with children about changes um, helps them. Another thing that's really good is to give them responsibilities that they can succeed in and making a huge deal out of it when they do succeed. You know, there, there are going to be some children in our classrooms that they're going to be a lot of the the opportunities to do things in class are going to be above that. They're not going to be able to do that. So find something that each child can do. Again, these children that have come down beaten down, they're coming into our room, they don't feel like they can do anything right, they're a failure in everything. Oh, that's what they've been told. They're not, but that's what they've been told. If we can give them something little and make a huge deal out of it, you know, they begin to think, 
wow, I'm not a failure. I can do this. I can be helpful. And, you know, again, just giving them opportunities over and over to have a responsibility that they can succeed in. We want to set them up for success. They're not experiencing success at home. If they're in our classrooms with all these traumatic experiences, there's no success at home. So the more success we can give them in our classroom, you know, the better. Be And again, that goes back to being their cheerleader, being their encourager, um, and making the classroom a safe place. Um, some of these children, their behaviors are going to be out of control. And so we've got to work. We call it a safety plan. You know, this behavior is unacceptable. In our classroom, you will not hit someone else. You will not swear at me. If you are feeling like you're going to lose control, like you're not going to be able to control that, what I want you to do is, and have a little signal that they can give to you as the teacher. And they get to go over to a corner of the room where there's a chair and a book, where they can calm themselves. We have to teach them to regulate these emotions and to regulate these impulses. Um, they haven't learned it at home because their parents aren't showing any self-regulation. You know, they are out of control. And so it's up to us to help them learn that. But sometimes it's just too much. It's just too much. So giving them a safe place that they can. Maybe having a pad of paper and some crayons or pencils over in that corner of the room where they can just quietly not disrupt the class. It's going to help the classroom if they're not disrupting it. But a place that they can go, a safe place for them to maybe draw what they're thinking about and that may tell that may be where we get to begin to see oh now this is what's going on obviously as teachers we're mandated reporters so if they're telling us these things we have to report that but especially if they're coming out of one of these perfect deacon's homes where you're not allowed to talk about these things maybe this is a safe place they can write about it they can write you a note about what they're feeling. They can draw you a picture of what they're feeling, um, but just having a safe place that they can begin to process this. And, you know, it may not work the first several times, but I think over time, as they begin to understand, no, my room is my safe place. My teacher is my safe person. And I can go over and, and draw about that, or I can journal about that. I can write about that. Now, obviously, if a, a student tells us, you know, this is what's going on at home, we can please not tell anybody. And I think they deserve our honesty in saying, I don't want you to be hurt. And I have to, I am required to let someone know about this. It's not to get you in trouble. It's not to get your parents in trouble, but it's to keep you safe. You know, but having honest conversations with the children so that they do know, no, you you are safe to tell me, but I am required to deal with this. But um, just giving them that the safety, um, asking questions of our children, especially that we can get them in one-on-one -on -one time. Um, and you see some of these disruptive behaviors or violent behaviors. Don't ask them, why did you do that? They probably can't answer why. They don't know why. Something's triggering in their head. So, and they don't know why. 
what did you do? What happened right before you did that? What is going to happen when you do that? What questions are going to be much more effective with these children that have experienced these traumatic behaviors than the why questions? Because they don't know why. Um, and understand that there are things that we're going to do even in our classrooms that are going to be triggers for some of these behaviors. And we're going to say, where did this come from? Having no idea that a certain word we used or a certain smell in the cafeteria or a certain look from another student are going to trigger things that we have no idea where there's, we had no idea that was going to be a trigger. We had um, a foster child that was two and a half and did not have a lot of language. And, you know, we're working with her, but we went to the YMCA one day. First time that we took her with us and she went absolutely ballistic. We have no idea why. To this day, we have no idea why. But it was obviously a trigger. We left. We got her calmed down. Explained everything was okay. She was safe. She was with us. Went back in there. Same behavior. Triggered immediately. So there was something there. Sitting in a restaurant one day with her, and there was a man a couple tables away. Yeah, I thought he looked like kind of Santa Claus. Big, long, white beard. We had to leave the restaurant. She just kept fixating on that and screaming and crying. Obviously a trigger. So we don't know the triggers that these children are coming in with. So just trying to understand behaviors and maybe, you know, say what happened that made you do this? They may be able to answer it. They may not be able to, but understanding that there are the fire alarm could absolutely trigger awful things law enforcement day you know seeing police officers can trigger all kinds of emotions and behaviors so just trying to figure out you know and understanding you know if it happens one time it may happen again so let's maybe kind of make sure we don't present this trigger again but again a lot of times the first time we're not even gonna know it's a trigger but again, having those detective caps on um, and noticing. Um, another thing is, is for a lot of these children that have experienced traumatic behaviors, they, they don't have any choices in their lives. And so trying to give them, especially when we know there's some difficulties going on in their lives, um, we, we usually tend to know the children whose parents are going through a divorce. That's not what those children would have chosen. So understanding that sometimes they need some choices. They need some things to make choices. Even going to the library is wonderful. They get to choose which books. You know, maybe, you know, giving some of these children that are, you know, are going through a divorce some choices of, you know, would you rather sit in this seat or would you rather sit in that seat? It's, I mean, it's not going to change the course of history. But it's giving them a little bit of control in a world that is out of control for them. Obviously, we're not going to let them make choices that are harmful, you know. But giving them opportunities to make some choices that, that just kind of helps bring a little bit of control into a life that has no control, you know. In fostering, 
we it's a, a simple little thing, but we give them the option of riding the bus to school or being a car rider. It really doesn't make a lot. Of, it would be more convenient for them to ride the bus for us, but that's a choice that we can give them. Would you like to ride the bus to school or the, would you like to be a car rider? And in a world where they is, it, you know, everything they have known is now new. They don't know their world. That gives them a, a, something that they can control, a choice that they can make. So sometimes just giving them that opportunity um, to, you know, to make some choices. Obviously, choices that we can let them make, you know. Um, you know, that's going to be limited, but we can think about it, you know, as we get to know that child. And again, you know, like you said, they're going to spend more waking hours with us than they are with their parents. And so we're going to get to know them. And so understanding, beginning to understand that child and, you know what, this would be a really good choice for that. You know, I, I can give them this opportunity to make this choice. Um, but again, just praising them, loving them. These children need to know that somebody loves them, not based on their behavior, not based on clothes that they wear, not based on whether they're clumsy or not, but because of who they are. Um, and we have found that in fostering to be absolutely huge. These kids have come from very conditional love, very conditional treatment. And so to teach them that, no, we may not, this is not acceptable behavior, but we love you anyway. This is not going to make us love you less. We want you to tell us the truth, but we love you no matter what you tell us. You know, and I think our kids need to know that. They need to know that about God, that he loves them no matter what. And that, you know, as as us being the person they can touch, you know, we they don't get to touch God. And children are very concrete. You know, they, they know what's right there in front of them. Um, and so we're the stable person. And so, you know, understanding that. And again, we are mirroring God when we love them unconditionally. Um, you know, you're going to have some kids that come into this class, your classrooms, where the dads are the bad people. They are the bad guys. They beat them. They beat their moms. They, you know, they do horrible things. And so the, and these kids see this. Our, you know, I, I always say, you know, to parents, Really, our kids are smarter than we are. We just want them to think we're smarter. You know, it's up to us that, you know, appear smarter. Um, but they are figuring this out. They are watching this. And, you know, so even in the classroom, if you have a child, you know, and you are talking about God the Father, and they want nothing to do with God the Father, it could be that the idea of a father is a horrible idea. They don't want God the Father because they don't want another father. The father they know is horrible. Um, I, 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 we always go through the storybook Bible with our foster kids every night. Read a, you know, read a story. And there's a story I always skip, and it's when Abraham is taking his son Isaac to offer him as a sacrifice. Do you know? I mean, my children were raised with that story. They are raised that their dad is a loving dad. And so God, the father is a loving father. And so 
Abraham, you know, we can get through that. But somebody whose father beats them and beats their mother, you tell the story about Abraham going to offer his son Isaac on an altar. This is, this can be a trigger, a huge trigger for a child whose dad is a horrible person. You know, so, I mean, things like that, just to take into consideration things that could possibly trigger something in the, in the kids in our classroom. Yeah, absolutely. And what I'm hearing over and over is that mindfulness, just being mindful. And what an opportunity we have to impact these young people for Christ and give them hope in Christ. You know, God's word is powerful. And I just, I hear there's a theme all throughout this. It's just letting them see a contrast of who they are in Christ and us as a testimony of what God has done for us and how we can be a blessing to them. And we're running close on time, but I do think we have time for a question. I'd like to get that in really quick if we could. I really always enjoy this part as we wrap up an episode. So let's take just a moment to listen to our question for today. Carrie from Greensboro, North Carolina. What are some alternate ideas or maybe talking points for handling situations where there is not a mom or not a dad in the home, but we are celebrating a special day for dads or moms or doing a special mom or dad craft? So that's a tricky scenario that likely every school experiences. You know, do you do away with all the mom and dad activities for the sake of those without a mom or dad? Or do you do the mom and dad activities and find alternate activities for those without a mom or dad? Esther, what, what are your thoughts on this? No doubt you've encountered this. We've encountered this. And I think, you know, helping our children in our classroom to be empathetic to those who maybe don't have our mom and dad but also helping the ones without the mom or dad also celebrate the children that do have a mom or dad. You know, the Bible asks us to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. And we can teach that from a very young age. But I I mean, what harder day for a child that who, who has lost their dad than Father's Day? But, you know, what we have done is if we are making a bookmark for mother, on or for a father on Father's Day, we make one for mother on Father's Day. We still celebrate the parent that they do have on that particular day, you know. Or or we can even just you know, again, Parents' Day. But I still think Mother's Day and Father's Day is special, and I don't think we should do away with those. But we certainly want to help the child without that parent. But I, again, I think they should be able to make the very same craft, except make it for the, the parent that they do have. So yeah, so Mother's Day and Father's Day, they're making crafts for the very same parent. That's okay. That parent's fulfilling both roles, you know? Or, and, so, and some, you know, Father's Day, maybe make it for their grandfather. Maybe make it for an uncle. I, I hope that in all these children's, situations that they have a special person kind of fulfilling that role you know in a small sense make that item for that person invite that person to the you know muffins for mom you know in, invite the grandmother or invite the very special aunt um my thinking is we don't do away with the holiday for the sake but being especially sensitive 
for the child that is not getting to experience that day the way all the rest of the children in the classroom are. Now, the further we get in life, the more it's common. It is becoming more common. Usually there's more than one child in that classroom. But again, letting them still experience the joy of celebrating somebody in that role. And, you know, if it is mom that's fulfilling mom and dad's role, make a craft for mom on Father's Day as well. Yeah. And I I feel like you hit it right. (laughs) Exactly what I was thinking, too, is that that key is sensitivity and serving both those with and without parents with the same activity or the same event is going to be tricky. But it is so key that we think through those and think through those students who have been impacted. You know, Mom's Day and Dad's Day are obviously going to continue to be celebrated across the country. But if a young person, say in your class, has recently experienced a loss in that area, maybe there's a more sensitive way you could approach it even just for that year to help with that class. And you can't just cancel all those types of days. Like you said, I don't think we just do away with everything because someone doesn't have a mom or dad. But even I was thinking, as I was hearing that question, talking to the adult in that child's life and just saying, can you help me? How can we, you know, work through this day, make them feel comfortable? How can we best support the child? Because they would have great insights as well. And to breeze over it isn't showing sensitivity. And, you know, likely we've all heard someone say something insensitive, you know, in an awkward moment of, well, you can just pretend your dad's alive or, you know, Maybe you just watch during this activity and I hear those things and think, oh, we just made that no. situation worse. So I think that's well, sensitive. Think, yes. Respond. Put ourselves in child's, you know, put ourselves in their shoes. Especially some of us as adults, we have lost a parent already. And again, what that feels like to, to experience that from a child's point of view. Yeah, sensitivity and being intentional about making it as just wonderful of a day anyway for that right. child. Yeah, having that plan. Don't let it <laughs> sneak up on us. Again, very practical. Esther, you have been a tremendous blessing today. I feel like we've been given a wagon load full of ideas and things to think about. I know you're incredibly busy, but the time you've given us today is greatly appreciated. So I just want to say thank you so much for me and for the listeners for being on the show today. You are very welcome. And again, I'm going to send some resources, um, some books that would be helpful, I think, for every teacher to have as far as dealing with some of these issues that will come up in their classroom. Fantastic. And we will be sure to get those posted in the show notes. So listeners, be sure to check out those um, show notes and you can get those resources that Esther's recommending for us. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you were challenged and encouraged as I was. Remember to go to teacheredictionpodcast.com to submit your questions for upcoming episodes. Of course, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. Now, it's time to get back to your day, but it's not just any day. Every day in your classroom is your day to impact and inspire through God's power and His grace working in you. Now go do what God has called you to do. 